All right, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 11. Aaron Menikoff is a pastor in the Atlanta area. Several years back, he wrote this. A couple years ago, we decided to pray on Sunday evenings not merely for boldness in evangelism, but fruit from evangelism. We knew many from our body had been sharing the gospel faithfully. We trusted that pleased God, but we longed to see conversions. Garrett Kell is a pastor right down the road from us at Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria. At one point, Garrett wrote, A number of months ago, a couple in our church discovered their unborn child had a rare birth defect that threatened the child's life. They humbly asked the church to pray for the baby's healing, but more importantly, for them to trust God in whatever path he called them to walk through. We prayed, both publicly and privately, for the Lord to show his mercy. Yet another pastor, Garrett Connor, uh, who's, we haven't talked for a while, but is a guy I've shared meals and trips with. He shepherds a church in Maryland. He wrote a few years back, La Plata Baptist Church, that's his church, is a small rural church in southern Maryland. Our history was not marked by ethnic diversity in attendance or in membership, but a few years ago, during our Sunday evening service, we began asking God to grow us in ethnic diversity for his glory. Church, these are three real-time, real-life examples of churches praying together to a God they trust will hear and they expect will respond. So, did he? Did God hear the prayers of these three churches? Did he respond? If so, how? Well, wait on that. Because this morning we continue on in a study in the gospel according to Luke. And this morning we come to chapter 11 to this famous passage where Jesus is asked to teach us to pray. But not only does Jesus give his disciples here a way to pray, what has become known as the Lord's Prayer, but a motivation to pray. So follow along as I read for us Luke 11 verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, of though though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds 
and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, as I just mentioned, Jesus gives us a way to pray and a motivation to pray. Those are our two points this morning, and we begin with a way to pray. So, we pick up the the text there in verse 1, and we see Jesus doing something not at all unusual for Jesus to do. He's taking time to pray. So, back in chapter 5, we read, But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Back in chapter 6, we read, In these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. In chapter 9, we read, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And and right before the transfiguration account in chapter 9, we again read that Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Later in Luke, should the Lord tarry, and we get there, we'll see Jesus go up on the mountain again, right? To pray tears of agony. Luke makes a a point of highlighting how Jesus prayed. And so it's no surprise that here we get to verse 1 of chapter 11, we read again, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. It makes sense then that the disciples would have seen this and they would have seen Jesus' prayer life and his commitment to it and, and would have asked him to teach them. Because they saw in Jesus this example of, of communion with and dependence upon God. Of course, Jesus was God in the flesh, yet it is clear in Luke's gospel that during his earthly ministry, Jesus was both ministered to and empowered by the Holy Spirit and regularly refreshed himself in communion with his Father through prayer. And so once again, like we saw a few weeks ago, we see this inner fellowship of the triune God that has been there from eternity past and is here nourishing and blessing and supporting the Son of God in his earthly ministry. As Jesus finishes up his, his prayer then, the disciple asks that question, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus begins to instruct his disciples and us today, church, how to pray. And and just off the bat, I I think Jesus intended this to be a prayer we would literally pray, which we'll do at the end of our service, together. These words, right? More words are in Matthew. We'll, We'll follow that at the end of our service. But more than that, Jesus is also giving us sort of a paradigm, sort of Uh, a help in seeing how broadly we are to emphasize our prayers, how we're to direct them, what we're to pray for, how we're to pray. And so let's look at this prayer then. The first thing Jesus tells his disciples to do is pray to God and address him as Father. That's the address for God there in verse 2. In the Old Testament, God was at times seen as sort of a father to his covenant people. We can go back and read texts in Isaiah that make that clear. But Jesus here is teaching something a little, a little surprising. He's teaching a, a, an idea of God as Father that is more intimate, that is a deeper connection than his disciples have, have been able to see before. 
See, he's encouraging his disciples, each one of them, to talk to God directly as their father, my father. This is a little unprecedented. There's this personal closeness to, in this father-son relationship that Jesus is emphasizing. And as we read in the New Testament, as Daryl read for us earlier from Romans 8, we see this idea of the fatherhood of God take on a, a, a whole new meaning in the fact that he's actually adopted us by the blood of his son into his family through the work on the cross. So right off the bat, we start with this intimate connection and we say, our Father, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means, means holied or, or sanctified. So as we pray, we're, we're right off the bat, we're asking God to make his name holy in our lives and in the world. We're asking him to be seen and to be worshipped and to be honored for who he is. And if you think about it, this is an important place to put this prayer right at the start, Right? Because by praying to God as Father and then praying for his name to be held in holiness above all other names, before we go to the other things in this prayer, we are acknowledging his place and our place. We recognize he is God. He is the creator. We are the creature. And so right away we get this idea, this is the posture of prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is, is his rule and reign. And so, as we've seen in the sending out of the 72 and the 12, they're preaching the kingdom. Jesus himself is preaching the kingdom. That means that in his ministry, right here in the flesh, he is sort of inaugurating, he's bringing to bear the kingdom of God in a unique way in redemptive history. And that kingdom, that message of the kingdom, that reality of the kingdom will continue to grow and increase and is doing so even today in 2021. As more people hear the, the message of the kingdom and bow the knee to the king. But what's most in view here in the Lord's Prayer is, is the end game. When God's kingdom comes in, in all its glory. As his people, we're asking for that day to come and to come quickly. We anticipate it. We pray for it. Again, this prayer is placing God in his rightful place as having lordship over all other things. In our sin, we often pray, my kingdom come, right? And yet this prayer again reorients and corrects our hearts, focuses us again on the one who is over all. I'll quote Jack Miller again when he said, a lot of people who pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, would be horrified if it happened. Because what we really want is, Lord, I want my agenda. I want to protect myself, defend myself, make excuses. But he says, and God now says, I'm going to give you so much love, you won't need those other things. I'm bringing my kingdom to bear. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here, but we hope you, you hear loud and clear what this prayer is calling you to recognize. That living your life your way for your own fame and your own agenda is going to make you miserable. And even if you do actually get everything you're setting out to get, you're going to still find yourself wanting more. 
One writer has used salt water to illustrate that truth. We've mentioned this before in our teaching here at Loudon Valley. Life apart from God who created you is like drinking salt water. You get sick and you keep getting thirstier. God alone can satisfy. He's made you for himself. When you drink of his living water, you taste what you were made to drink, what you were made to feel, what you were made to enjoy. See, Jesus has come here in Luke 11 to live, to teach, to pray, and then to go to the cross where he will die not merely as a religious martyr, but as a sacrifice for sin, for the sin of you and for, the, for my sin. On the cross, Jesus will bear the judgment sin deserving anyone deserves, everyone deserves, if they will trust in him. And so friend, you too can kind of, you can drink of the living water. You can have your thirst satisfied. Jesus provides this water. You are invited to drink deeply of it. Turn to him. If you have questions about that, talk to me afterwards. Talk to, to Jack, our other elder. We'd love to share with you more the good news that Jesus provides water that will never run dry. Well, the prayer shifts at this point away from the exaltation of God to supplication for his help. Give us each day our daily bread. Prayer by default is an act of dependence. So as disciples, we are to pray daily for what we need daily. I think this is one of the reasons prayer is to be a constant in our lives. Because neediness is a constant in our lives, right? Uh, This part of the prayer brings to mind the Israelites in the wilderness gathering manna each day. We are to look to the Lord not only for his coming kingdom but for his provision in the here and now while we await that coming kingdom. God is not just a cosmic king. He is a present father. He's concerned with even the most mundane, even the most basic needs of our days. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So we ask the Lord for provision. Now we ask the Lord for forgiveness. Our sin is ultimately against him. It's his forgiveness that we need above anybody else's. Now, Jesus is not encouraging us to think of God's forgiveness as completely conditional on how we forgive others. Otherwise, we'd all sort of like go in and out of his forgiveness based on our performance, right? Uh, For one season, we would be like, all right, we're not going to forgive us today. Guess I, I won't pray. But then when we feel better, we'll, we'll say, hey, Lord, I forgave somebody. Now you can forgive me. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. That would go counter to a lo- so many other passages of Scripture. Instead, Jesus is showing that a heart that has experienced God's forgiveness in Christ will be a heart that forgives others. This will be one of the the first fruits, one of the first signs that we know we have really experienced the forgiveness of the Lord for ourselves and that we are quick to forgive those who hurt us. As the scholar Daryl Bach has said, a forgiven person is a forgiving person. A forgiven person is a forgiving person. And then finally, lead us not into temptation. 
God, of course, does not tempt. Otherwise, he would be evil. The Bible makes it clear, the book of James specifically, that God does not tempt his people. But he certainly is sovereign over our temptation, isn't he? He knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. And so it makes all the sense in the world to ask his help and ask his guidance and pray that he would lead us in the temptations we face and the temptations in his sovereignty that we are spared. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that's the Lord's Prayer. We're missing a few phrases that Matthew includes in Matthew chapter 6. But these are the basic, you know, bones of the Lord's Prayer here in Luke 11. But, but notice one thing before we go to the motivation for prayer in the, next pa- in the next section. Notice one thing we don't actually often highlight in this prayer. In fact, one New Testament scholar has called this the most ignored feature of the Lord's Prayer. And that is that it is a community prayer. It's a corporate prayer. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I think we can often slip into referring to to prayer in general as primarily our personal spiritual disciplines. And of course, prayer is an essential personal discipline in, in the life of every believer. But prayer is also an essential aspect of our life together, in person, face to face as the church. John Onwachekwa has written a book on corporate prayer. I included a quote from him in the Day of Prayer notes on Friday. And he writes this, Prayer is oxygen for the Christian. It sustains us. So it follows that prayer must be a source of life for any community of Christians. Prayer is to the church what it is to individuals. Breathing. Yet many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. And this would explain why people seem to have so little energy for actually living out the Christian life. Church, at at Loudoun Valley Baptist, we want prayer to take a prime place in our gatherings. It should not be hurried or flippant, or transitional, get the band off stage, get the pastor up. Prayer must be given prime of place in our gatherings. The Lord's Prayer is a community prayer. So Jesus teaches us a way to pray. But if we're honest, though this is helpful, you know, this could give us a little bit more clarity about, you know, what we should emphasize in in our prayers— Does this make our prayer life any easier? It's still so hard to pray. We know we should. Many of us know these words by heart. But at the end of the day, why should we pray? 
I mean, we get all this. We, we know God is our Father. We need to pray to Him. We need to submit to this teaching of Christ. But, but what kind of Father is He? Jesus is so kind to not only give us a way to pray, but to give us a motivation to pray. And that's our final thing to see. Look there in verses 5 through 8. Jesus is telling a, a parable. It's kind of a comedic parable. Um, he speaks to his disciples and he says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So back then, bread would have been made on a daily basis. But here in, in Jesus' hypothetical story that he's drawing to make a point, this parable, it appears this, this friend from out of town has kind of seemingly shown up out of the blue late in the evening, and all this guy's bread has been used up. And as a host, that's a bad look. You want bread to show to the weary traveler when he comes to your home. And so he's surprised. So he's like, oh, it's late. I'm just going to go to my neighbor. So he, he knocks on the door. He says, I just need a quick favor. I need some bread. The neighbor, though, is tucked in for the night. Uh, this house is probably only one room. This guy is tucked in with his family. They're literally, they're, they might even be on kind of the same area, sleep area. And the door has been fastened shut with loud hinge bolt things, right? And now there's this knock on the door when they've got everybody settled down. And it's just kind of like, for those of you who are young parents now or you have been in the past, it's kind of like when you've just gotten the kids down for a nap and then the trash truck, roll, trash truck rolls up, right? Beep, beep, beep. And you start seeing stirring and you start hearing murmuring and you're like, please just go away. You can imagine this, this father in his home saying, I will pay you to go away right now, <laughs> right? But Jesus makes a point. He says, maybe their friendship won't pass this test, but impudence will. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus is doing two things with this parable here. First, he's encouraging his disciples to be bold in their prayers. It would have taken some guts for this man to go knock on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night. He knows he's inconveniencing him. He knows he's not going to be the most welcome person at the door. But he goes anyway. We should be bold when we go to our Father in prayer. We'll see this again a little bit in Luke 18. Remember the story of the widow going to the unrighteous judge. Some similar themes going on. But I think that the main thing Jesus is teaching in this parable is that whatever this neighbor is like, he's not like God. God, the Father, hears the pleas of his people and he listens. He doesn't shoo us away. He doesn't say, I'm too busy. He doesn't say he's not annoyed or irritated at the knocks at the door. No, he hears. He responds. We often don't like to be people who inconvenience others. Sometimes that's due to politeness. Many times that's due to pride. And so Jesus is saying, put aside your pride and go to the Lord. Anytime. All the time. 
And so if that is the way God is, Jesus' exhortations in verses 9 and 10 make all the sense in the world. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus is not saying God is some sort of cosmic genie in a bottle who will give us whatever we want if we rub it the right way or say the magic words. No, that would, that would turn the whole idea of prayer and of God being honored and hallowed on its head, right? That would give God the wrong place and us the wrong place above him. Remember, we pray because God is in charge, not us. Prayer is an act of dependence. No, instead, Jesus in these verses is instilling in God's children, in you and me, church, confidence, expectation that God will hear whenever we pray and he will give us what we need. We're, we're to pray like we're literally talking to a gracious father. And we know he may not give us the precise thing we want, but we have no doubt in the world he will most certainly hear, he will most certainly care, and he will most certainly respond. We can trust him. As a church, this ought to compel us to pray wholeheartedly for everything, big or small. Spurgeon once said, Believer, when you are on your knees, remember you are going to a king. Let your petitions be large. One of the things I'm most grateful for over the course of this past year is a more consistent prayer meeting in the life of our church. I'm grateful that God used COVID to do that for us. And I trust he is doing different things, great things, things perhaps invisible to us, just because we're praying more consistently as a church. It's not because he's some puppet controlled by the strings of our prayers, but because it's his design to use our prayers to accomplish his plan. That's how it works. But Jesus isn't done quite yet. He still has another way to show us the heart of the Father towards us. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a simple argument from the lesser to the greater. If sinful fathers, and when he says you who are evil, he's not saying you who are like the worst dust spots in the world. He's saying you, you're inclined to evil. You're sinful people. And if even you, by and large, know how to protect and provide for your children, don't you think you're your, your heavenly Father will give you what you need? This is the motivation for prayer. We don't go to a crotchety, irritable Father. We go to one who is always available and willing and loving and concerned. So if this is the way to pray, according to Jesus, and this is the motivation to pray, according to Jesus, why do we still struggle to pray? Why does it remain so hard? We could answer that question multiple ways. Perhaps we just don't give it the time. The Puritans used to say something like, pray and keep praying until you pray. 
right? Maybe we just stop too short. Perhaps we don't grasp the depth of our need, and so prayer doesn't seem like a a big deal because usually we can take care of our needs on our own with our resources and our jobs and our families and our, our possessions. Perhaps we're, we're too invested in our own kingdom building. And so we're just not too interested in asking him to bring his kingdom. Our eyes are focused on our own success, not the hallowedness of his name. Or perhaps, and maybe this is a little bit more hard to say, but we, should, might, be, we might do well to be honest with ourselves. Maybe we look at our past prayers and we say, Lord, you've given me scorpions. You've given me serpents. I've prayed for this person, this relative, this child to be saved, and they haven't. I prayed for a healthier marriage, and it's gotten worse. I prayed for more assurance of my salvation, and you've given me more doubts. So what should we do? Church, when we grow weary of prayer, here's what we need to remember. We can be certain God will give us what we need because he already has. We can be certain God will give us what we need, because he already has. In Romans 8.32, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you may not understand God's answers to your prayers. You may have a hard time asking and actually believing and expecting to receive But you can be confident, Christian, that God will always give you what's best for you because he already has. In giving his son, God gave you what you needed the most and what he loved the most. You can't get better than Jesus. If God gave you that, you can be sure he'll take care of everything else. It doesn't make prayers easier. It doesn't make life easier. But it reminds us where our rock is. It's in the loving Father. Church, the Lord's Prayer is a community prayer. So let's be a church that prays. God will work through our prayers. As we'll sing shortly, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Remember those pastors we started out with. Aaron Manikoff in Atlanta had led his church to pray for more evangelistic fruit. Not just boldness, but fruit. And they began to pray. And later he wrote this. He recalled, On Easter Sunday, 2015, God brought a single man to our church. He visited for a season, seven years prior, but this time he stuck around. The word drew him in, and the hospitality surprised him. God saved him about nine months later, and he's now a baptized member of the body. Around this time, a young Chinese woman working in Atlanta began to attend. She tolerated the preaching, but the book of Romans being taught in Sunday school captivated her. At different times and in different ways, members of the church called her to repent and believe. She finally did, and we baptized her too, answered prayers. Over in Alexandria, Garrett Kell's church was praying for this baby soon to be born with severe birth defects, and he later wrote, The Lord allowed the child to live seven days and then took him to be with himself. The family grieved, the church grieved, 
But the Lord's present help in such a time of trouble has been evident. The Lord does not always answer in the ways we desire, but he remains faithful. And our church has seen that even in this valley of the shadow of death. Remember, they had prayed for health, but even more so for faith. He answered. Garrett Connor and his church prayed for more ethnic diversity for the glory of God. And he later wrote, in the last six months, our church has grown exponentially in this way. God has transformed our congregation into a place where people of all backgrounds feel loved and welcome. And we're thrilled at the growth God has given us because only he could do this work. I know this will cause our church to pursue humility and unity even more. We pray our community will take notice of this love in our congregation so that people will come to Christ for salvation. See, in each of these real-life, real-time, real-church scenarios, God responded to the prayer of his people. It wasn't always what they would have liked. But they were certain that God had heard and responded and worked. Latin Valley Baptist Church, God does answer the prayers of his people. So we must pray. In this season of our church, one of the things we need to be praying the most for is growth growth spiritually and growth numerically. Asking the Lord to bring folks to our church family, bring folks who have been staying away and gotten out of the habit and the routine of coming to church over the last 15 months, and new people, people who haven't heard Jesus, about Jesus, people who have been drawn in as this man was in Atlanta by the word and by the hospitality of the people of God. Let's pray to that end. Let's pray expecting God will hear and listen and respond. What a faith builder that would be. To be praying that consistently as a church, we'll do that on Wednesday nights. And seeing maybe months down the line, maybe years down the line, him answer our prayers. I'm going to close this in prayer now, but towards the end of my prayer, I'm going to lead us, and it'll be up on the screen, uh, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. I think it'll be up on the screen. If not, do it by memory. And so we'll close with this community prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And then we'll sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would instill in us confidence, expectancy, hopefulness in our prayers. We ask that through the Wednesday night prayer meeting, the ladies' prayer on Tuesdays, our personal prayers throughout the week, that you would grow and bless our church for your glory and for the fame of your name. We ask, as that old quote goes, that you would help us to expect great things from you and attempt great things for you. May we come to you as to a king, and may our petitions be large. You are a loving Father. And so we pray that our, this motivation to pray would galvanize us to disciplined joy in our access to your throne through Jesus Christ. And so hear us as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Let's stand.